So we open God's word together. Let's pray that he would illuminate it for us. Let us pray. Father in heaven, one thing we have asked of you and that we will continue to seek after, that we may dwell in your house all the days of our life, to gaze upon your beauty and to inquire in your temple. Hear us, O Lord, as we call to you. Be gracious to us and answer us. For you have said, seek my face, and our hearts say to you now, your face, Lord, do we seek. Please do not hide your face from us, but reveal it to us in the face of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Teach us your way, O Lord, and lead us now on a level path by your Spirit. For we ask all this in Christ's precious name. Amen. Please be seated. And would you turn with me in God's word to the book of Matthew, Matthew chapter 26. Matthew chapter 26, and we're going to read the institution of the Lord's Supper from Matthew's gospel, Matthew chapter 26, beginning our reading um, at verse 20, and read through verse 28. Beginning our reading at Matthew 26, verse 20, and reading through verse 28. And let's pay careful attention, for this is God's own word. And when it was evening, he, Jesus, reclined at table with the twelve. And as they were eating, he said, Truly I say to you, one of you will betray me. And they were very sorrowful and began to say to him one after another, Is it I, Lord? He answered, He who has dipped his hand in the dish will be, with me will betray me. The Son of Man goes as it is written of him, but woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been better for that man if he had not been born. Judas, who would betray him, answered, Is it I, Rabbi? He said to him, You have said so. Now as they were eating, Jesus took bread, and after blessing it, he broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you that I will not drink again of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you into my fa- in my Father's kingdom. Thus far the reading of God's word, may he bless it to us. We want to think about the Lord's Supper. We've been studying uh, through the catechism. We've been thinking about the sacraments particularly, and we've come to uh, the teaching on the Lord's Supper in particular. Uh, We've read the account of Jesus' institution of the Supper. We find a similar account in Mark's Gospel at chapter 14, in Luke's Gospel at chapter 22. Um, We read as part of our Confession of Faith, Uh, those statements of Scripture from 1 Corinthians 11 and 1 Corinthians 10. And so we've gotten a good sense of what Scripture has to say um, about the Lord's Supper, the institution of the Lord's Supper. We celebrate the Lord's Supper every week. We have the privilege of celebrating it tonight. And so we are reminded in that form of what Scripture has told us about the Lord's Supper. And so we want to spend some time this evening thinking about that, thinking about the basics of the Lord's Supper. Uh, We noted last time that as the Catechism teaches us through the sacraments. It goes to the basics of the sacraments, uh, then explains baptism, and then it moves on to the Lord's Supper. Um, And in explaining the sacraments, there's also a pattern to that too. First, the basics are established, and then some clarifications are made, so we better understand what we've learned. Um, And so this will be the, the sermon on the basics of the Lord's Supper. 
and God willing, the next two Lord's Days, we'll think some about the questions that arise from the Lord's Supper and think a little bit about those. Um, And so we want to think about the Lord's Supper. Think about how Christ instituted this supper for our good. Uh, Think about how we are to make good use of it and rightly understand it. Um, And so we want to think about this. And it's particularly important because we know that this doctrine has been controversial in the church. Um, we, We know that the church has asked often, what does it mean exactly when Jesus says, this is my body? Um, How are we to rightly understand that? And we want to be sure as the people of God, we understand how Christ means that. Um, We also understand, right, that the sacraments, we want to keep keep in our mind, keep reminding ourselves uh, that the sacraments have one purpose. Uh, The purpose of both baptism and the Lord's Supper is to point us to the sacrifice of Christ on the cross as the only ground of our salvation, And we've talked about that just as the word has one purpose, to preach to us Christ crucified as the salvation for sinners, so also the sacraments have the same purpose, to turn our hearts and minds to the sacrifice of Jesus Christ as the only ground of our salvation. Um, And the Lord's Supper does that in a particular way, reminding us of the broken body of our Lord that was broken on the cross for us and his blood that was poured out there. And so we want to think about how does this sacrament point us to the cross of Christ? How does it bring Christ into fellowship with his people? And so we want to ask again those basic questions. Um, If eating and drinking the Lord's body and blood under the signs of bread and wine truly point us to Christ and his cross, how how do they do that? Um, And that's really what the first question in the catechism in this Lord's Day deals with, and that's what we want to talk about. How do they point us to the cross of Christ? How do we see that working out? And then what does it mean to eat Christ's crucified body and drink his poured out blood? Uh, We want to think about that together. And we will incorporate that third question, where does Christ talk about this? Where is that promised in the word? We'll incorporate those scripture passages, hopefully, as we go along. So we really just want to answer those two questions. I know, I know. I'm supposed to have three points, but we're going to go with two and it'll be okay. Um, How does it do that? How does it point us to the cross of Jesus Christ as the only ground of our salvation? And what does it truly mean to eat Christ's crucified body and to drink his poured out blood? That's what we want to think about in this Lord's day as we consider that from, from God's word. So how does the Holy Supper operate Um, as a sign and seal for God's people? How does it point us to Jesus Christ and him crucified? Um, Well, I think the best place maybe we can begin is, as one Reformed theologian said, the sacraments always represent to us one or more spiritual truths by the means of outward signs. Uh, One or more spiritual truths are being communicated to us by the signs. And that's maybe nowhere more clear than when we talk about the Lord's Supper, because we probably don't always call it the same thing. Um, pastors do this. Everybody does this, I think, in the church. Sometimes we call it the Holy Supper, as it's called in the Catechism. Sometimes we call it the Lord's Supper. Sometimes we call it communion. Uh, sometimes we call it the Eucharist, which is okay. Um, that just means thanksgiving. But each one of those names, I think, is used because it's drawing our attention to a little bit of a different aspect of being, what's being taught. It's a reminder to us that there are many spiritual significances, if that's a word, uh, there are many, many, many things that are taught to us in the sacrament. It points us to a various number of spiritual truths. And so those different names, I think, draw our attention to different aspects of what's being taught in the Lord's Supper. 
Um, It has many names because there are many profound spiritual truths that God means to teach us through this supper. Um, And so when question 75 asks the question, how does the Holy Supper remind and assure you that you share in Christ's one sacrifice on the cross and in all his benefits? And it begins with an important explanation. In this way, Christ has commanded me and all believers to eat this broken bread and to drink this cup in remembrance of him. To eat the bread and drink the cup in remembrance of him. Even in that simple act, there's a profound significance to what our Lord has given us. And we read about that significance as we thought about that scene of the Last Supper that Matthew presents to us in his gospel. There's something very important that happens there in those few short verses. um, Where Christ is eating the Passover meal, something they would have been very familiar with. They would have been singing some of the psalms that we sang tonight. Aramaic, probably in different tunes, but the same psalms together to celebrate the Passover. That would have been very familiar to them. But then Jesus does something that fundamentally changes that meal. uh, Fundamentally changes the spiritual significance of what is happening between him and his disciples. Um, Changes it in a very profound way. And it's always important that we preserve in our minds the fact that what we do has been given to us by Christ. Right? Even the Apostle Paul, when he's trying to correct the Corinthians in their bad practice of the Lord's Supper, says when he summarizes what he had told them, he said, For I receive from the Lord what I delivered to you. Every bit as much as the the original disciples had received this from the Lord, Paul also had received this from the Lord. This teaching to do as Christ had directed for a particular purpose, to take the bread that he had chosen to represent himself. That's the first thing we see happening in the institution of the Lord's Supper is Jesus takes bread to consecrate it for a particular purpose takes this ordinary bread to signify something extraordinary. He chooses this bread. He consecrates this bread. He sets it apart to accomplish a spiritual purpose for his people. He takes it. He blesses it. And then what does he do? He breaks it. He takes it. He blesses it. And he breaks it. There's a profound spiritual truth being taught even in that action. Especially when he comes then and says, this is my body. It's a profound picture to us of what our Heavenly Father has done by His Son in our salvation. He chose Him to send into the world. He set Him apart for this particular task and purpose, anointed him to come into the world and to do this. He consecrated him to that purpose. And that night at the Last Supper, Jesus was pointing them to the fact that soon would be the time for this one who was chosen and consecrated by the Father for this particular purpose to go to the cross and be broken. To be broken as a sacrifice for sinners. A sacrifice that would make them whole. Um, it, it's a profound reality that we, we bring out, I think, in our longer communion form, that, but his body was broken so that we might be made whole. 
And so it's, it's profoundly important to see the beauty of what our God does and the picture that he puts before our eyes to take this bread that the Lord chooses and blesses and breaks. And then what does he do with it? He gives it to them. This chosen, blessed, broken bread is for them. Even in that simple act is a profound spiritual truth. Because that is who Christ is as the bread of life for his people. Chosen, consecrated, broken, and given. He's the one who gives it into their hands to represent his body. Um, Matthew makes that point clear in verse 26. Now as they were eating, Jesus took bread and after blessing it, he broke it and gave it to them. All those things are important. All those things are significant for the picture to be made to God's people that this broken bread represents the body that will be broken for them on the cross. And just as the bread is given to them by their Savior, he's giving his broken body to them for their salvation. It's a profoundly important thing that we see. All the initiative comes from our God and from our Savior. Right? It all comes from him to us. We don't do anything but the receiving. God did the choosing. God did the blessing. God did the breaking. God did the consecrating. God did the giving. All we are is recipients of his good gifts of grace. And he gives us that food, which is true food unto life eternal. It's a wonderful and profoundly important thing. And the the wine only re-represents that whole thing to us again under a different picture. Some people have asked, why do we break the bread in communion, but we don't pour out the wine? Um, And the reason is because wine in a cup is by its nature poured out wine. Um, It doesn't mean it's wrong to pour wine into the cup. I'm just saying that people have said you don't need to pour the wine because the fact that it's in the cup shows that it's been poured. Um, And again, you see how the same picture is being just told to us again. It's this wine that's been chosen by Christ. He takes the cup. He chooses the cup. He blesses the cup. It's a cup of poured out blood. And what does he do with the cup? He gives it to them. The same picture, not now representing his broken body, but representing his blood poured out as a sacrifice for sin. Do you see how God makes the simple, profoundly important to his people. He takes what's simple and easy for us to recognize and uses them as powerful pictures of what the Lord Jesus Christ did for us on the cross to remind us that he was broken, that his blood was poured out for sinners and that we receive them from his hands. Everything is given to us by our God and the promises of God are revealed to us in these pictures. Um, With this command come these promises, we're told in the catechism. First, that as surely as I see with my eyes the bread of the Lord broken for me and the cup shared with me, so surely his body was offered and broken for me and his blood poured out for me on the cross. We see that when we celebrate the Lord's Supper. We see that represented to us as God's people. It's a powerful picture that's given to us. 
And it would be a powerful picture if that's all it remained. Right? It, would still, it would still be a powerful picture if it was all just done here at the table where the bread was broken and the poured out cup was seen and we saw the bread and we saw the wine and we could be assured that just as surely as we see that bread broken and we see that blood poured out, so our Savior died on the cross for us, that his body was broken and his blood was poured out. That picture would still be a powerful picture if that's all it was. But that's not all it is. It's not just a picture to us, it's a picture God gives to us and then he invites us to participate in it. It's a powerful picture presented to our eyes, but then it's presented to our other senses. It becomes a participation. That he gave it to them and they ate. That he gave them the cup and they drank. All of them drank it. All of them ate the bread. It wasn't just a picture, you see. It was a participation. They participated in what was promised. So with this command come these promises, not just the picture, but second, as surely as I receive from the hand of him who serves and taste with my mouth the bread and the cup of the Lord, given as sure signs of Christ's body and blood, so surely he nourishes and refreshes my soul for eternal life with his crucified body and poured out blood. It's not just a picture, you see. It's something we participate in. We, we take the bread and we eat it. We take the cup and we drink it. We drink it and eat it together. And just as it nourishes our body, so the blood and body of Christ nourish our souls unto eternal life. It's not just a picture. It's a picture that we participate in. Um, and that's why it serves a certain kind of function for children before they come to the age where they profess their faith and come to the Lord's table. It functions as a picture, but we never want to leave it as a picture. Right? That's why we want to encourage our children to make profession of faith and to come to the Lord's table and participate in it. Um, because that's where it becomes a spiritual benefit for our soul. Because each of us as a believer comes and recognizes that this supper has been given by the Lord, not just to Christians generally, but to me particularly. But he doesn't just say, come to all. He says, you come. And you eat, and you drink, and you know that my body is true food, and my blood is true drink for your eternal life. That's a powerful thing that's happening. It's a picture in which we participate. We come and we eat the crucified body and drink the shed blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so what does it mean to do that? What does it mean to do that? We have to understand that rightly as well. And so question 76 helps us to understand that too. It means to accept with a believing heart the entire suffering and death of Christ and in this way to receive the forgiveness of sins and eternal life. How do we eat and drink the Lord Jesus Christ? We eat and drink by faith. We eat and drink by faith. That's how. Uh, the Belgian Confession beautifully says, faith is the hand and mouth of the soul. Um, the Belgian Confession says, you know, you have a physical life that needs food, and you know how to eat that food. And you also have a spiritual life that needs food. And the spiritual life is only fed by the body and blood of Jesus Christ. It's only fed by Christ crucified. And faith is the hand and mouth of the soul. 
Faith is how we, we participate in Christ, how we feed on Christ for eternal life. We have to eat. If we want to eat and drink, we will have to eat and drink by faith. That's how we embrace the sufferings and death of Christ. We embrace him and, and become participants of him by faith. It's through that instrument that we receive, as we're beautifully taught here, forgiveness of sins and eternal life because of him, because he was broken, because his blood was shed, we receive life. It's by faith that we are united to those events that happened at Calvary all those years ago. It's, it's faith that brings us there in that sense, that makes it a real participation with us and the Lord who died. That that participation is real for the people of God. That when he died, he died for you, if you believe in him. When he died there, your sins were upon him, and he died that he might set you free. It unites us with his death. It brings us into that past fellowship with Christ and his death in a profound way so that the death he died is effective for us. It's a powerful thing that the Lord's Supper does where we remember him and become participants in that event by grace through faith. It's a powerful reminder to us that we do this in remembrance of him. But it would be wrong if we only thought back to the past events and not thought about the communion that it brings us into with Christ now. Right? It certainly has a past function. We do this in remembrance of him. We remember the Lord who died for us, but we also remember that we are communing with the Lord who lives. Right? We're not communing with a dead Lord. We're not remember, remembering someone who died and was buried. This isn't a funeral service. It's a serious remembering of a serious salvific event, a horror for our Lord that meant freedom for us. The quenching of the curse and the wrath of God being poured out on him. It is a somber and serious and reverent event, but it's not a funeral. Because he's not dead. He's alive. And we don't come to commune with a dead Lord. We come to commune with a Lord who lives, who is still with us, um, who lives even now in heaven, as hard as it is for us to understand this, with that blood coursing through his veins in a body that is whole and resurrected and perfect. He's there, body and soul. And the Lord's Supper brings us into communion with him body and soul. We remember not just the one who died, but the one who is alive forevermore. And that's why it would be wrong to make it a funeral service or to remember only his death, but to remember that in a profound sense when we celebrate the Lord's Supper, he's here with us. We are brought by the Holy Spirit into communion with the Lord who lives now. A glorious resurrected life that promises a glorious resurrected life for all those who belong to him. Because if you believe in Jesus Christ by faith, the life he's living now, you will one day live. 
It's a reminder of a, of a fellowship we have with him. We have our blood in heaven, our bodies in heaven, testifying to us that as he is where he is, we will one day be. And communion pro- profoundly reminds us that we are coming into the presence of that God, and because he lives, we will one day live as he does. That's why some people have said, you know, let's call it the Eucharist because it's a Thanksgiving celebration. We are coming to celebrate this supper. Yes, he died a terrible death to take away our sins, but he lives and he reigns. He's alive. He's glorious in heaven, body and soul. We have our own flesh in heaven as a testimony that heaven's a place for people, body and soul. And it's a place we hope to be one day with him, body and soul. It's a reminder not just of a past fellowship, with him on the cross, but a present fellowship with him in heaven. And you know that even if I don't have three main points, I have to at least have three points somewhere. And so if you have past and present, you have to have future. What does communion remind us of? It reminds us in a profound sense, this kind of communion is temporary. It's good, it's wonderful, it's glorious, it's food and drink for our souls, but this is not the ultimate thing. This is not what we are hoping for. This is not what communion will always be. A little piece of bread and a little sip of wine. This is in a sense a wonderful picture, a preview of a communion that's coming. Because what does the Lord's Supper also do for us? It says, remember me in my death, fellowship with me in my life, and proclaim my death until I come. What does the Lord's Supper remind us of in a powerful way? The Lord that lives is coming. He's on his way. The night is far gone and the day is at hand when this communion will turn into a whole different kind of communion. A communion where it's not broken sinners coming to be fed by a risen Savior, but will be people who have been resurrected body and soul. To sit at that wonderful table at the marriage supper of the Lamb and enjoy that communion that we're all looking forward to when we will see Him face to face. And it won't be a faith that's done by, it won't be an eating that's done by faith because faith will become sight. And it won't be a communion that lives in hope of the Lord who will one day come because hope will have been realized. All that will be left in that meal will be love. And that communion, that fellowship with Christ and his risen saints will just go on and on and on. It won't be a communion where the Lord ever stands up and says, come, let us go from here. We'll enjoy that communion in unbroken fellowship with our Lord. The Lord who died for us, the Lord who rose for us, the Lord who lives for us. We will be raised and we will live with him. This is just a little reminder of what will one day be. Because one day we'll eat the fruit with him in the kingdom that's coming. So he says, do this, but do this until I come back. Do this for now, until there's a new day that dawns. 
until you celebrate this supper with me in heaven, in unbroken communion and fellowship, not just with me, but with all those who have loved me and longed for my appearing. It's a profound truth of past, present, and future fellowship that's being pictured to us in the supper of our Lord. That's what it means to drink his body and blood, to participate with him in the past at the cross, to participate with him in the life he now lives, and to participate with him in that future day that's coming. To know that just as surely as we meet with him and celebrate the supper with him today, so surely there is a day coming, and that soon, when we will celebrate with him and with all of God's people forever. And the final thing we see is that this is not just an individual thing that unites us to God, it's something that brings us all together with our God. That's why we call it a holy communion, not just because we are communing with Christ individually, but because we are coming together to commune with him. And there too is a picture of the whole church coming together for communion. This isn't something we do individually, privately. It's something we do corporately with God's people because it brings us together. It reminds us that even though he's in heaven and we're on earth, as the catechism says, we are bone of his bone and flesh of his flesh. We are with him, and not just individually, but as a church. And that eating of him reminds us of that unity that we have, the oneness that we have in Christ, the family of faith that he's brought us into. And so it's a communion with one another as well. That's what we're remembering when we come. We're remembering that what, what he's done, what he's now doing, and what he one day will do, and that we're part of it. We're part of it not because we've done anything to contribute to it, but because he was consecrated and he was given and he was broken and he was poured out so that we might eat and drink and live. That's what we remember in the Lord's Supper. And let's now go to the Lord's table and remember him by it. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we do celebrate this glorious communion that we are privileged to be part of, that you invite us to come to the table and to eat and to live. We thank you that we eat Christ's blessed body and his poured out blood that was shed on the cross for us. We thank you not only that he he died for our sins, but he's been raised for our justification, that he even now reigns at your right hand, being made whole and glorified. And so as we commune together with the resurrected Lord and know that by his spirit he communes with us, that he is really present with us, might we remember not only what he's done in the past and the present fellowship we enjoy, but the glorious future that's coming. May we be faithful in proclaiming his death until he comes and cling in hope to that day, that we might love him and long for his appearing and know that he's coming soon as he promised. Prepare our hearts now as we go to his table. You might eat and drink to our blessing and comfort. Hear us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.